Before we get started, actually, I kind of want to take a time to pray. <clears throat> I do want to, I need to say this. I've told everybody I've spoken to in person so far, I have terrible allergies. Um, so lots of people, uh, or lots of things have their arch nemesis, right? Um, we, we have uh, the, the, the worst enemies around the world, right? You think of Superman and Lex Luthor, uh, and you think of... Um, you know, uh, <laughs> Alexander the Great with Rome, you have the barbarian, you know, all of these great enemies of, of, the, of history and of uh, the fantasy worlds. And uh, my arch nemesis happens to be ragweed um, because that's how great of a superhero I am. Um, so pray for me as uh, we deal with that in my family. Uh, we, uh, I know that uh, they've got allergies at home with uh, Crockett too and stuff and some sinus infections come from this. Um, Jude has uh, said that he's quite tired of COVID tests. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? There's, there's so much fun. Um, but uh, we're, we're thankful that, um, for you know, where we're at right now with uh, that. But we're also praying. We, we know we have lots of uh, people dealing with sickness inside of our church family and our community. So I want to take a moment and just pray for that. And uh, then we'll continue. Jesus, we want to lift up everybody who is uh, sick inside of our church community. God, we know that there are um, lots of people just dealing with stuff. And I know that um, the doctor said that there's just all kinds of things going around right now. And this is a scary time with other things going around because of our fear of COVID. Lord, I pray that you would uh, heal the sick. Lord, I pray you bring healing to the people in our church family who are dealing with illness God, I pray that you'd help us to uh, walk through this pandemic well. God, I pray that you would um, <laughs> just erase it. God, um, I, I pray that you would uh, help us to walk in faith in you too. And Lord, I pray that um, even as we deal with sickness, we continue to point to you. We continue to point to the one who is greater than all of our fears, all of our struggles the one who can take care of all of us. In your name I pray, amen. Okay, one announcement, or actually two announcements I'd like to make. First of all, I have uh, Stephen's uh, sticky note, thank you sir, for this. Um, if you are visiting us and you would like to um, find out more about us or let us know uh, more about you so that we can reach out to you and tell you information and stuff like that, um, if you go to our website, clinginridge.com, on the homepage, there's a first time visitor form. That'll give you a chance to fill that out and that lets us know more about uh, you and you can, uh, let me say this, so uh, whatever information you give, you can check on there how you would like us to respond to you, how you'd like us to, t um, to talk to you. So if you fill it out, it's not that all of a sudden somebody's necessarily going to show up at your door unless you say, hey, I'd like somebody to show up at my door, and then we'll, we'll send Dale. Um, if, uh, <laughs> he said you have to cook for him. Um, but if you'd like a text or a phone call or just an email just to give you some information about something in particular, you can say that and we will respect your wishes there. Because I know that's uh, scary sometimes when you're like, man, if I give them my information, somebody might come say hi to me and I don't want to say hi. Um, so you can, uh, you can make your decision there on how you'd like that to be done. Second of all, I'd like to announce that tonight we are having our Word and Worship Night. Jennifer Beard has been working so hard on this. I'm so excited. Um, Ken's been working so hard on this. I, this is going to be incredible. We are going to have, like, I know this sounds very complicated to hear Word and Worship Night. I'm going I'm to break it down. We're going to read the Word, and then we're going to worship God because of it. It's really complicated, right? 
I am so excited for this. But the other thing that's really important here is it's going to give you a chance to get to see some of our life groups. So those, our life groups include our Sunday school classes and our weekday groups. And you're going to get to hear from some of our leaders, get to see who they are, get to hear about what's going on with them. And if you haven't found one yet, I'm telling you, this will be a great time. Come at 530 today. This will be a great chance to find your fit. Find the place where you can get in there, where you can have people who will know you, know what's going on in your life, walk with you through things, bring you meals. Somebody in our life group brought us a, a meal to my family last night, and it was incredible. And it was just uh, such a perfect timing. I don't even think they knew how great of a timing it was for us, just because we were, I mean, with all the moving and all the stuff that's going on in our family, it's been um, just crazy. And then dealing with uh, uh, not feeling well was just a, a perfect time for this. And um, this is the place where you find that kind of stuff is in life groups. So make sure you come tonight, 530 in here, and it's going to be incredible. Okay, question. Have you ever tried to comfort somebody and failed? Anybody ever done that? Said the exact wrong words? Anybody in here? Anybody married? That might be another way to ask that question. Tried to comfort somebody and failed. Um, The other night, this one, uh, (laughs) so Crockett, it was was in uh, in bed with Ashley and I, and um, he he woke up in the middle of the night and uh, he he was crying right he was he was just crying his eyes out and all this stuff, and I me being half asleep so uh, to preface this I was having a dream that somebody was trying to sell me life insurance anybody ever had a dream like that? It's weird I know but do you expect anything different from me? So I was having this dream and I was telling this person I have life insurance I don't need this I have it. So it's Crockett in my state of being woke, uh, awoken by this crying toddler and all, and, and y'all, I, 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 I grab him. I'm, like, I'm talking to him like, Crockett, it's okay, buddy. I have life insurance. <laughs> I'm physically, I'm comforting my four-year-old son who woke up from a nightmare by telling him, don't worry, I have life insurance. <laughs> Ashley said, she, I told her the next morning what happened. She was like, I heard you talking and saying something weird, but I didn't know what was going on. And so then I literally, like, he was still crying. I told him I have life insurance. I go back to sleep. <laughs> Ashley gets some water, talks to him, and you know, gets some sleep, all this stuff. And later she's like, what was that? <laughs> In this passage we're about to read, Paul encourages the Corinthian church, but it's not what they wanted to hear. It's what they needed to hear. Has anybody ever been told something that you didn't want to hear, but you needed to hear it? Again, anybody in here married? Okay. Sometimes we have to hear the things we need to hear, even if it's not what we want to hear. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting in verse 5. I'm going to read uh, the first little bit of this. Starting in verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to, send some, I hope, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. All right, let's, let's break this down for a minute. So first of all, he says, I'm gonna come visit you after passing the Macedonia. All right, I want you to picture this. The very first time the Corinthians read this letter, uh, or the, ch- the church in Corinth, uh, Corinth was, was reading this, it was probably read all in one setting, right? So again, what has taken us longer than a year to walk through, they sat down and did in one sitting. Anybody want to come and sit and listen to me read 1 Corinthians in its entirety? Everybody's like, no. <laughs> so they're reading this whole thing. And again, he addresses a lot of tough things here, right? 
He addresses all kinds of problems going on, all kinds of sin, all kinds of selfish, all kinds of struggles. At the very end of this, do you think they're want, they, they are expecting or wanting Paul to come visit them? No. They don't want to see him at all. I'm sure many of them are saying, uh, how about you just stay in Macedonia? You're wanting to pass through there in northern Greece? Yeah. Why don't you just stay there? Why don't you hang out there? Because I am not interested in you coming at all. But then he says, not only is he going to visit them, he, he says he's going to spend the whole winter with them. Anybody ever have a family member that calls and says, hey, I'm in town. I'd love to come by and hang out for a little while. And you're like, how do I ignore this? So you're sitting next to them, aren't you? I'm sorry. Um, we're just trying to find a way. You're like, okay, if I go to Petco and I buy some crickets and let them out of my house, can I have an infestation? Is that like a way to get out of this or something? Not only was he going to visit and maybe stay for an extended period, Paul tells the Corinthians that they're going to support his next mission. Okay. He's talking to the Corinthians. Remember up until this point, he had told them, Hey, I haven't asked a dime from you. Right. But now that he's taught them through uh, what it means to give, what it means to support the ministry that God is doing. He tells them, Hey, not only am I going to come see you and I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to spend the whole winter with you. I'm going to hang out. We're going to spend some quality time together, Corinthians. And then you're going to support me in what God is doing in my life next. These are the same Corinthians that refused to listen to Paul because they preferred other leaders. Now he's telling them to support God's calling in his life and they don't even get a vote on where that is because he doesn't even tell them where he goes next, right? He says, I will stay with you that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. So he's saying, hey, I'm gonna come by. I'm gonna hang out with you for the winter. You're gonna support me wherever God sends me next. You're going to do this because this is God's mission. He said, I don't want to just see you in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. All right, remember, this is a very, very corrective letter. There's some of the most direct, stern rebukes found in the entire New Testament in this letter. But this is not because Paul doesn't like the Corinthian church. He loves them. I want to make sure we understand this. It is not loving a church to cultivate or enable selfishness, arrogance, greed, or any other sin. Pastors love churches by leading them to holiness, even when that path is the most difficult. Does that make sense? It's easy to lead people where they already want to go. Does that make sense? Who in here thinks it would be hard to lead people towards the chocolate buffet on a cruise? If you've been on a cruise, you know what that is, right? Who thinks it's hard? Hey, I want to get, I know this is tough, but please follow me. I got some chocolate over here for free as much as you want. That's easy. What's hard is leading people away from it, right? Paul is doing what is difficult because it's what is right. He wants to spend time with these Corinthians. I'm sure that he wants to display his love for them because this letter was so difficult, right? He wants them to see, because uh, anybody in here ever misread an e the emotion behind an email or a text? Anybody ever received an email or a text? Okay, right? Sometimes you read it and you're like, well, that was just mean. And it wasn't meant that way, right? Anybody ever had your text or email misread? Yes, right? Paul wrote a letter, a lot of difficult things said in it. It could very well be taken that Paul doesn't even like them anymore, right? But that's not the truth at all. And he wants to spend time with them to make sure that they know that he loves them. But he doesn't promise that he will do anything without God making the way. 
I want you to understand this because he said, if God permits, I'm going to spend this time with you. Anyone, especially a pastor who promises that they will make something happen in a church is claiming God's power as their own. And that is sin. So if someone walks up and says, I'm going to do this and I'm going to bring 100,000 people here. Guess what they're claiming? I can do what God says only he can do. Anybody think that God likes to share his glory? Who grows churches? God does. He says, I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective ministry or effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. So here's something funny. Paul wants to come to Corinth. Did anybody in here after reading this think that Paul needs to go to Corinth? I think so. I think he needs to go to the church in Corinth, right? There are a lot of fires to be put out. If you remember all the stuff he walked through, they had people in leadership that were, uh, that were in, in, in terrible moral failure. There was all kinds of sin going on. There was selfishness. There was uh, arrogance. There was um, a lack of concern from the world around them. There was um, a lack of concern for hurting other people. There was all kinds of terrible things going on, right? So what would keep Paul from going straight to the Corinthian church who obviously needed his leadership? The answer to that is a door that only God could open for ministry. Even though most of us would rush to the fire, God calls Paul out to the field. So this house is on fire and most of us would say, it's on fire, run, let's go. And God says, yeah, but there's a harvest that needs to be taken up, right? So God calls Paul away from the Corinthian church into a place where there's effective worth effective work to be done. So here's one question is, are you willing to do this? And are you willing to support others in doing this? To say, hey, even if there is a fire, even if there is something that needs attention, or if I think it needs great attention, if God has provided an open door for effective ministry, am I willing to go do that effective ministry first? Am I willing to support others in doing that effective ministry first? Even if it means I have to ignore what I consider to be a big fire first. He says there are many adversaries in Ephesus. The word adversaries means to oppose someone involving not only psychological attitude, but also corresponding behavior. I want us to understand this. Paul didn't see the presence of opposition as a reason to back down, to give in or to give up. He saw it as an, uh, as an even greater reason to stay and fight for the gospel. Because Satan and all those he is using will always oppose God's work. In fact, this is one way to test if you're truly listening to and following God. Are the mobs opposing you? Does Satan want God's will to be done on earth? Does Satan want God's will to be done in Cleveland? Does Satan want God's will to be done in Clinging Ridge Baptist Church? No, he does not. Will he send others? Will he create groups to oppose God's will inside of Clinging Ridge Baptist Church? Moses, the prophets, Jesus, and the apostles were all fought by mobs. Did you know that? You know what most of those mobs had in common? They were all very religious. Do you know that? The ones who were the most uh, vocal against Moses, against the prophets, against Jesus, were very religious people. 
being used by Satan to oppose God's will on earth, to oppose God's work in their church. And so Paul says, hey, I'm gonna stay in Ephesus at this church in Ephesus. I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna work. I'm gonna do this because God's opened a big door for effective work. And I know there's a big door for effective work because there's a lot of people fighting against me. That's how he knew what God was doing because the amount of people who were fighting it. Let's move on. So this talked about, uh, there, there's three people who walks through the beginning here. So Paul, first of all, gives his plan. He's like, hey, I'm gonna come visit you. I know you don't want me to, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna come anyways. And I'm gonna come and you're gonna support me in what God's doing next. But before I come, I'm gonna stay here and do this work in Ephesus because God has opened a big door even though there's a lot of people fighting me. The next thing he says is he walks through what Timothy is gonna do. So let's start reading verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I'm expecting him with the brothers. All right, I love this. Paul is worried about his young friend. All right. After reading about the Corinthian church, who in here would be concerned sending a young pastor in there to, to guide these people? I would be terrified, right? You know how old Timothy is? Really young, right? When he starts ministry uh, as a young man, he's probably in his late teens, early twenties. This is a young, young guy. And Paul is sending him to the wolves at the church in Corinth, right? And so he's, he's talking to me, he says, all right, first of all, I want you to uh, put him at ease because he is scared of you guys. <laughs> I love it, Paul, I'm sure he's talking to Timothy and Paul's telling Timothy, hey, I want you to go and pastor Corinth for a little while. I want you to go there and preach to them. I want you to uh, you know, tell them the gospel, keep teaching them, keep walking through it. And Timothy's like, Corinth, <laughs> those guys, they're mean. They're gonna, they're gonna destroy me. And they, I mean, because again, think of how they've treated Paul, right? Look how the Corinthian church treated an older, educated apostle. How do you think he expected them to treat Timothy, who was a very young pastor trained by Paul? And Timothy was terrified. So Paul speaks up for him. Paul gives Timothy the same authority that he has. He says he's doing the work of the Lord just as I am. Because Timothy is doing the work of the Lord and Jesus, who is the, Jesus is who has the ultimate authority in the church. Did we know that? Jesus has the ultimate authority in the church, period, because it belongs to him, not the people. Does that make sense? Anytime the people and Christ or the word are at odds, guess who is right? God's word. Paul knew how the Corinthian church had treated and spoke to him. He was certainly worried about how they would treat Timothy. Who in here hates to see bullies? Anybody hate seeing bullies? The Corinthian church was full of them. Paul was trying to protect his young friend from them, right? Do we still have bullies in the church today? Some people are like, I don't want to look at them. They're in here. The church can still have bullies today who think that I can fight or push or be angry or mean to get my way, to get my preference, to get what I want. They can abuse others. They can say hurtful things. They can cause others to desire to never be in church again. 
They can cause people to leave the ministry. Again, thinking of Paul and Timothy, does anyone in here know the average tenure of a pastor? So this is in ministry in general. Most pastors stay in ministry for about 18 months. You know why? People. Now, I'll say this. There are certainly a lot of people that try it out that think that looks like a great gig. Everybody's going to like me and thank me for everything I do. (laughs) It's not that way. And they're not called. I promise you nobody could do the work in the ministry that's not called to it. But even those called are going to suffer. And Paul is worried about his young friend, Timothy, and he's not concerned with whether or not Timothy's called. He's worried how Timothy is going to endure the fire, the fury, and the sin of the bullies at the Corinthian church. Paul told the Corinthians that they're going to support Timothy's next mission. So not only are they going to have to support Paul, they're going to have to support Timothy whenever he comes back. He says, support him on his way back to me, send him back. And that means take care of his journey the whole way. Knowing what we know about this church, who thinks everybody enjoyed this commands? Anybody think the Corinthians love this? Hey, I'm going to show up and then you're going to pay for my next journey. Then I'm going to, uh, before that, I'm going to send Timothy. He's going to preach to you for a while. Then you're going to support his journey. Anybody in here think the Corinthians were like, thank you, Paul. They hated this. The next thing that was the funniest part to me. So he talks about three people, like I said. Talks about himself, then he talks about Timothy. Then he gets to Apollos. What did a lot of the Corinthians think about Apollos? Oh, they liked Apollos. Now they might not like Paul. They might not like Timothy. They might not like some of these other, but they liked Apollos. They're like, hey, send us him back. He's a great speaker. We like that Apollos. You give us Apollos. And in fact, uh, because he says now concerning in his next one, they wrote him. They said, hey, Paul, here's some of these things we have issues with you about. And also send Apollos back to us. We liked him, right? So here's what Paul says. Verse 12, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. (laughs) I love it. So there's one entire group that said they only have followed Apollos. That's my pastor. Now, Paul, he can come anytime he wants to, but Apollos, that's my pastor. That's who my guy is. They didn't care about Paul or Peter or anybody else. Apollos was their guy. And so they write to Paul and they say, hey, you send Apollos to us. And Paul strongly urged Apollos. He's like, hey, Apollos, you need to go, man. They really want to hear from you and they need to hear you say the same things I do. Please go and talk to to the Corinthian church. But Apollos didn't want to. (laughs) While the Corinthians schemed to use Apollos to get their way, Apollos wasn't interested. So this person who they had on this great pedestal and they said, send him, we like that guy. He's like, no, I don't want to be there. (laughs) I don't want to go. I'm not at all interested right now in coming to see you guys. He wanted God's will for the Corinthian church, not their preferences. And he showed them that he was unified with Paul in this. What a blow to the Corinthian ego, right? Their guy that they thought would come in and fix everything and make them feel better and give them what they wanted said, nah, I'm not interested. So Paul gives them, he starts this letter off or, the, or starts this, this, this section off right here, his, his closing of the, the, his first letter to the Corinthians, telling him what he's going to do, what Timothy's going to do, what Apollos wasn't going to do. And I'm sure all of this was like, again, a big blow to everything they had thought. So then he moves on to verse 13. I want to camp here just for a few minutes. In verse 13, he wrote, 
be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. I want to break these down just for a moment. First of all, be watchful means to be in continuous readiness and alertness to learn. God is constantly trying to teach you. Are you consistently in a place to learn? Or do you think you have everything already figured out? Do you think you have it figured out because of your degrees or your experience or your intelligence or your age? If you came here this morning for any reason other than to worship God and to be changed by him, you missed the point. Does that make sense? If you came here thinking, I'm coming here so that I can get the things that I want out of my time, you missed it. If you came here to say, I'm going to come here so that everybody else can know what they need for themselves, I'll tell them, you missed it. We show up so that Christ can continue to change us, to make us more and more like him. And that process does not end until we die. Anybody dead? I hope not. Okay. Then you need changing by Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? No one has arrived. So he says, first of all, be watchful, be constantly ready to learn and be changed. Then he says, stand firm in the faith. Note what Paul does not say. He does not say, stand, oh man, this one's gonna be tough. Stand firm in the way you've always done things. Can the church struggle with that? Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? We've never done it that way before. I'm not looking up. You guys make me nervous. We can struggle with things like that, can't we? But Paul doesn't say stand firm in the traditions of man. He says stand firm in faith. He doesn't say stand firm in getting your way. Who in here has preferences? The rest of you lie. Um, everybody's got preferences, right? Do your preferences have to be met in order for Christ to get glory? Certainly not. And if we come here standing firm and getting our way, you know what we're probably missing out on? Giving God glory. We're to stand firm in one thing our faith in Christ, in his ability to save, in his ability, ability to change, and in his design for the church. Did you know that Christ is the one who designed the church? Did you know that we didn't? No one in this room, not Colin, not Kenneth, not anyone else in here designed the church. Jesus Christ did. We must submit to his design for the church. Are you willing to give up your strongholds in all other places to take up your stand on the hill of faith in Christ? Are you willing to walk away from every other battle to say, I'll stand for this fight for faith? Next, he says, act like men. That's a phrase that means to exhibit courage in the face of danger. 
cons- consistently being in a place for Christ to change us is one of the first things he commands us. Then he says, stand firmly only on your faith in him and what he does. And then he says, act courageously and defend these things. Even in the face of the mobs that oppose all that Christ does. Are people going to oppose you if you stand firmly in your faith? Can people in the church oppose you when you stand firmly on the word of God? Remember that what sounds like a large, ar- large army is often only a few loud, weaponless people. And he says to be strong. And that means to become strong psychologically. Who in here thinks it's easy to stand firm in the faith? Anybody think that's an easy thing to do? Just real simple, real easy? Who thinks it's easy to lead a church to stand firm in the faith? Try it. I'm not great at it. Who could oppose something so elementary, so simple as stand firm in the faith? Who would possibly fight against that? More than you can imagine. For more reasons than you can imagine. So the question or the the thing that we must come down to is this. Before you take up a fight, see if it's a matter of faith that you can defend with scripture first, first. You see, a lot of times we'll take up fights that we can't even find in the word of God, won't we? And we'll fight dirty for things we can't even find in the word of God. Is that what Christ called us to stand firm for? Because if it's a matter of preference, you may be fighting for selfishness and amassing an army of self-serving soldiers who have nothing to do with Christ's mission. But if it's a matter of faith, defensible by scripture, let nothing stop you from fighting. Then he wraps that part up with this. Let all that you do be done in love. So even when you stand firm in the faith and fight for Christ's mission, it is to be done with Christ's love for those who are fighting against you. Anybody struggle with loving people who fight against you? Big hand up for me. Does Jesus love those people? Yes, he does. He died for them just as he died for you. So a good question to ask when you're taking up this fight for the faith is this. Would Jesus Christ approach this person this way? Is this the way that Christ would handle this person? Now, again, was Christ afraid to take up fights? No, Jesus in, uh, on earth, what did he do in the temple when he saw that they had taken over the Gentile court to, to uh, make money for themselves? He made a whip and chased them out. But did that mean he didn't love those people? No, he loved and desired their salvation, but they were rejecting him as Christ and rejecting God and causing others to do the same. Some people have fought battles that are only self-serving. These are never in love for others because they're only out of love of self. Others have fought battles that are clearly biblical, but without love. And those can never truly be won. Does that make sense? A fight for the faith can only be won when it's done out of a love for God and others. All right, let's look at his final 
instructions. In verse uh, 15. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts of Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus uh, and Achaicus because they have made up for your, uh, for your absence and they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. All right, I, I've talked about this a little bit. Our next series that we're gonna be starting next week is gonna be uh, Christ designed for the church. Now I've told you already, I'll say it again though. Uh, normally what we're gonna be doing at uh, uh, Clean Ridge Baptist Church is walking through a book of the Bible at a time, right? We're gonna read the letter as it's written. We're gonna understand it in its context. We're gonna see what God has said, but we're gonna take a, a break from that for our next time. And we're gonna walk through what is Christ designed for the church. The letter to Corinth was mostly a letter of what is wrong inside of a church, right? It's been a ton of correction, a ton of what they were doing wrong. So I think one of the things that we could do that is very important to see, what does Jesus say the church is supposed to be? And we're gonna walk through definitions and we're gonna walk through what the church is and what all the different parts of the church are, what we're supposed to be. And it will change how we be the church. You wanna know why? The word should always change how we are the church. Always change how we are the church because we must submit to it. But one of the things we see here is we see a, a list of people who were elders at the uh, Corinthian church. We're gonna talk about that and talk about that term. These people led the church and Paul is saying, hey, be subject to them and give recognition to them because they are leading them. And in fact, where the Corinthian church failed Paul, where they failed to support him, to love him, to care for him, these elders came and visited Paul and loved on him because they knew how much he was struggling. He then says in verse 19, the churches of Asia send greetings, Aquila and Prissa, which would be uh, Priscilla, together from the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you their greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. There was not a pandemic going on at that time, was there? Anybody in here wanna start that up? <laughs> Everybody's like, nope. <laughs> okay, let's talk about this. What he's saying is uh, greet each other as you would a family member. You know how family members greeted each other back in Corinth in uh, about 2000 years ago? They typically would give each other a kiss on the cheek, right? It'd be a big old kiss and you'd say, hey, I love you, right? What he's saying is you are family church, greet each other like family on a regular basis. Here, what that probably means is when, uh, well, let, let, let's talk about a time uh, outside of today, outside of uh, 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 this, Greet each other like you would somebody else in your family, which means probably giving them a hug, warmly telling them you love them, tell them that you're glad to see them, tell them that you've been thinking about them, ask them how they truly are and, and expect a real answer. This is greeting someone like you would a person in your family. Then he writes this, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Okay, so he starts in verse 21. Paul typically used somebody else who would write for him, right? So he would dictate and tell them, write these words down and he would speak the words the Holy Spirit was giving him. Somebody else would be writing them with his hand. This is how this letter to Corinth was written. But this, at this moment, he takes that pen away from his uh, writer and he says, hey, wait, wait, give me this. I'm writing this one in my own handwriting so that they can hear me. I'm writing this with my own hand. And in verse 22, he writes, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. Accursed is the word anathema. You know what that means? 
let him not be a part of the church any longer. Let him be removed from the body. So what he says is, if anyone in here, if anyone in the Corinthian church doesn't show that they have a deep love for Christ, if they're not standing firm only on the faith, let them be removed because their voice is not gonna help promote the church of Jesus Christ. And then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Church, we have made it through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. I'd like you to close your eyes. Stand up with me. Close your eyes and bow your head. I have a few questions to ask as we ponder this book. My first question is this, whose plans are more important to you? Your plans or God's plans? And if you're answering that honestly and the answer is yours, will you ask God to forgive you of your selfishness? And will you ask him to convict you and let your heart be solely on what his plans are? Second thing, are you fighting for Clinging Ridge to be what Christ wants her to be? Or are you fighting for your own preferences? Which church is gonna change the world? The church created in your image or the church created in the image of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to submit to people that God has called to lead your church? And I wanna say this, you're answered all those questions. You can't say yes to any of those. You can't do any of those things without Jesus Christ being the king of your heart. If he's not, if, you are the, if you're on the throne this morning, first of all, if you're a Christian and you've tried to put yourself back on the throne, I want you to just take some time and repent of that and say, Christ, I'm sorry, I've put myself on your throne and you are the only one that deserves to be there. But if you're here this morning and you have never surrendered to Christ, you have never said, Jesus, save me from my sins and lead me as the Lord of my life, I beg you to do that this morning because only Christ is worth those things. Let's pray. Jesus, call us to be a church that honors and glorifies you. Call us to be a church that is willing to be led to look like you. Jesus, let us come every week willing to be changed to be more like you because of your word. Let us be a church created in your image, not the image of ourselves. And Lord, let us stand and fight for the faith, for your word, for what is clear. And let us lay down our weapons in areas where it's only a matter of preference. In your name I pray, amen.